0: The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us, our services are Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We would love for you to be our guests. We hope you consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting the donation amount to 907 341 Four two one three. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Good morning, Church. Welcome to ACF. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are in the middle of a series called Fanatic, and we are walking through the book of James. So if you would go ahead, grab your Bibles and open up to James chapter three today. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, if you forgot it, there's a Bible uh, probably in the seat in front of you. Feel free to grab that. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to write your name in that Bible. That is now your Bible. We would just love to give that to you as just a gift. Um, Also, you can download our app. We have the notes in there. And then, of course, the scripture and the notes will be behind me on the screen as well. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. By those who make peace. I don't know if you've ever been faced with a circumstance when you needed to have wisdom in that circumstance. Um, If you're an adult in this room, I'm sure that you have. And as I was kind of writing this sermon and doing some research, I was just reminded of times in my life where I needed to have wisdom. And my mind was brought back to a time not too long ago uh, where. My family and I, we flew back down to Washington for Christmas. Uh, We had just moved up to Alaska, excited to fly back down, see our friends, see our family for the first time in several months. And uh, one thing that I did a lot when I lived in Washington was ski. And so coming down, I brought my ski gear, and I talked to my friends, and we were going to meet up on the mountain one night. So Friday night rolls around, and we all caravan up to the mountain, and we get up there. We're grabbing our gear, and I'm walking uh, towards the mountain, and I realized that I had forgotten my helmet. Now, I always skied with the helmet, and this particular night, i had forgotten it. And so I'm, as I'm walking up, I'm kind of faced with this um, moment of needing to um, execute some wisdom there was two things that were going through my mind. Either A, I could go rent a helmet, which means I have to wait in line for like 15 whole minutes, right? And that's 15 minutes of skiing. That's a, that's a run. I could have an extra run in. Uh, I also had to spend like an entire eight bucks, which means I couldn't buy a Snickers bar then that I had been planning to buy. And so, yeah, no, nah, I don't need the helmet tonight. I decided to forego going to rent a helmet and just be careful on the mountain, right? And so we go up and, and we, we ski and snowboard and have a great night. And the end of the night comes and we get to the bottom of the hill and we're, we're talking to the lift op and, and, and he's like, um, hey, you guys wanna go up one last run? Of course we do, right? Especially when you night ski, the, the goal is to always be the last one up on top of the mountain, and so he, he, he lets us go in, and we go up to the top, last run of the night, always the best run of the night. And we're skiing down the hill, and inevitably, we end up in the terrain park, of course, because my friends love, and I love going through the terrain park. And this night, I was like, you know, I'm going to have some wisdom. I'm not going to go on all these jumps. I'm not going to do all these things. I'll just watch and kind of ski around them. And so I'm doing that, and then we get to the very last jump, the last jump of, of the terrain park at the mountain where it's called the Waterfall. And the waterfall stood, depending on the snowpack, anywhere between like 12 and 15 feet in the air at the top of it. It cleared like a 20 to 25 foot gap you had to clear uh, before you got to the downhill part. And so you have to get a little bit of speed to go down this waterfall. And understanding this could be my last time to really get a ski with my friends for a very long time, uh, seeing how we just recently moved to Alaska, it was not hard for them to push me into deciding to go off the waterfall. And so I stand at the top of it, and you got to get a lot of speed. So I, I kind of I'm bombing it down, and, and I've I've hit this jump a hundred times, and, and in all honesty, never really crashed on it before. And so I'm just thinking, this is going to be awesome, right? How can I just show off in front of my friends? And then I'm like, okay, wisdom, don't show off in front of your friends. I don't have a helmet on. And so I hit that jump, and I'm sailing through the air. I just remember looking around, slow motion. I believe I can fly, right? Just sailing, see my landing. I'm like, this is perfect. I'm going to just step out of the sky onto the ground. And I do it. And then I'm sitting in my brother-in-law's car. I don't know how I got into my brother-in-law's car. But somehow I went from flying through the air to the front seat of my brother-in-law's car. And not only that, I remember I'm looking at his car and it's facing the mountains and the ski hills behind us. So the light of the ski hill is shining on these mountains. And I remember thinking, those mountains look familiar to me. But I'm not sure quite where I am right now. Am I in Alaska or am I in Washington? I'm not really sure. I'm sitting there trying to figure out if I'm in Alaska or Washington. And I'll never forget, my brother-in-law sticks his head in the car. He's like, hey, man, how you doing? You doing all right? I'm thinking at first, why would I not be doing all right? Of course I'm doing all right. And I look at him, and I say, yes, I'm doing just fine. Who are you? And I remember the look of like, you've got to be kidding me, kind of just glazes over his face like, oh, we are in trouble now. And he's like, guys, we got to get Josh to the hospital. I'm like, what, what is going, who are these people? And why are they taking me somewhere I don't want to go? And then we start driving down the mountain. I just remember trying to put the pieces together, and not being able to, and like, about 30 minutes of that night, I don't remember at all. And, um, but I do remember them calling my wife. And then I do remember her not being happy with me in the least bit whatsoever. What do you mean you didn't go rent a helmet? Wisdom, right? I Come on. That was a long line I would have to wait in. And, and as I was thinking and remembering this story, I was just thinking, man, we all want to be able to walk in wisdom in our lives. And sometimes we do it and sometimes we don't. But the, thing, the truth of the matter is it doesn't matter if you've been raised in church your entire life. It doesn't matter if today's your first day ever walking into church. The, the truth of the matter is we all want to live out wisdom in our lives. And that could be wisdom with our relationships, wisdom with our marriage, ri- wisdom in raising our kids, wisdom with our finances, right? wisdom in our careers, wisdom with our jobs. We all want to have that and we all seek it. But the truth of the matter is, is we want this end product of this great thing, but we're not willing necessarily to walk through the disciplines that take us, that get us that great thing. And so what we end up doing is settling for the counterfeit. We end up settling for the cheap thing instead of what we really are going after, which is true wisdom. And we see that all the time in our, in our lives, right? I, I, I want to be healthy, right? I want to have a healthy life. I want to be You know physically fit and so what do I do do I cut out like the junk that's in my life to be healthy or do I just you know buy gluten-free chips right I bought a bag of gluten-free chips you are now looking at the specimen of health standing right in front of you right now these chips of course I've drowned them in cheese chili you know uh, bacon uh, jalapenos but they're gluten-free so it's healthy right like, I finally got to the end result of health. I cut a few corners to get there, uh, but I, I finally got there. And, and we we settle for the counterfeit and not truly going after that thing that we desire, that thing that we should be going after, because it's kind of hard. It's kind of not fun. And it might mean I have to cut some things out of my life that I did, really don't want to cut out. You see, James here, he starts out kind of by saying this pretty straightforward in your face comment he says it through uh, about two paragraphs but essentially your origin is going to determine your outcome when it comes to wisdom your origin for that wisdom is going to determine the outcome of that wisdom see james tells us that there are two wisdoms he talks about two wisdoms wisdom from above and wisdom from below and the problem is we really desperately want a third option we want there to be wisdom that is neutral. See, wisdom is never neutral. We want there to be this third option. Well, I don't really have to seek this wisdom from above. And of course, I don't want to follow wisdom from below. James calls it earthly, unspiritual, de- demonic. So what I want to do is I want this third option of this neutral wisdom that just kind of is. But the problem is that doesn't exist. See, we either are going to follow wisdom from above and, or wisdom from below. See, wisdom from below, James says, is earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom. It's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. See, it's this false wisdom, and it belongs to the world. It belongs to the flesh, and it belongs to the devil. It belongs to the world, the flesh, and the devil. And and interestingly enough, these are the three great enemies of the believer, Paul tells us in in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 Paul tells us this he says and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air or the devil the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So not only, Paul says, "Hey, what are the three great enemies to our faith?" Um, we have first of all, Paul says, following the course of the world, and then he says, "You follow the prince of the power of the air, and you pursue the passions of your flesh." The three exact things that James tells us is earthly, unspiritual wisdom. You see, and, and the problem with this is Paul tells us that this is our natural response. Like, my natural response is not just to go to godly wisdom. Paul tells us here, by, you are this by nature children of wrath. That that's kind of in our DNA to want to go to this earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom. To, it, it just makes sense to us so often in life. But it takes a disciplined life to follow the pattern of, of godly wisdom. You see, earthly wisdom is all about self-image, self-gratification, and selfish ambition. It's all about self, right? This earthly wisdom, at the end of the day, it's going to lift, it's going to exalt self versus wisdom from above that is always, at the end, going to exalt God. So what does this earthly wisdom look like? What does wisdom look like that is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. James talks about, he gives us some great insight into this. He says, first of all, it's bitter jealousy. First of all, it's bitter jealousy. Now, this idea that James talks about with bitter jealousy is two words in there. First word is, is bitter, and um, it's not, it is bitter like a sour taste in your mouth, but it goes beyond that. It talks about that this word bitter is like a, a disease in your body, it, 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 it compares it to a tumor. A tumorous disease in your body, this bitterness. And, and then jealousy is not necessarily like, oh, I, I desperately want what you have. This jealousy, the word that James uses here, is actually used four times in the New Testament. Four times we see this word of, of jealousy or zeal, same word used. And the first three times it's used in, in a positive way. It talks about how the believers you know, were zealous to follow after God. They had a zeal for God's word. It's this idea of passion. Um, but then James uses it in this negative way. He's, it's this idea of your emotions or your passions boiling over, boiling inside of you. So we have this disease, tumorous passions boiling in you is what James describes as earthly wisdom. And I love this quote that I, that I read this week. It says, nothing hinders solid judgment and impartiality necessary to acting wisely as much as passion. I mean, isn't that true? Maybe in your life when you've made really bad decisions, a lot of times it's because we're passionate about this thing that we're making this bad decision about and we can't seem to think straight. We can't seem to be impartial about this because we're so passionate about it. And I'm a huge sports fan. And so when I hear passion, when I hear these things, I, my mind goes to sports. And as I was thinking about that and reading some articles this last week, did you know, since September, there's been one person killed and two people hospitalized for being beat up after a sporting event here in the US. Um, about a, two weeks ago, a, a um, Dallas Cowboy fan shot and killed a Patriots fan in the parking lot because the the Patriots won, and the Patriots fan was rubbing it in, and his passion boiled over to where he pulled out a gun and killed him. A couple weeks before that, uh, 49ers fans beat up a Vikings fan so bad it put him in the hospital again because the Vikings beat the 49ers, and he was running his mouth off. And they thought, "Hey, this is a wise idea. I'm going to shut him up and put him in the hospital." And then just a couple, like about two weeks ago, a probably less than two weeks ago, a uh, a mother and a son. Um, Dodger fans beat up a Mets fan in the parking lot and put him in the hospital because the Mets had just beaten the Dodgers to go to the World Series. See, it's this idea of passion boiling over, but you might go, Josh, that's a little extreme, don't you think? I do. Um, I would never beat somebody up over a sporting event. Maybe. I see the looks you guys give me when I wear my Seahawks jersey around here. I don't trust you as far as I can throw you, okay? But I'll give you the benefit of the doubts that you would not do that. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt that you would not do that. But let me ask you this. Have you ever gotten so passionate or so, you know, emotions boiling over when you're driving down the Glen and that person can't seem to figure out how to drive the side of the first snowflake and you want to run them off the road and only because it's against the law you don't? Maybe your passion's getting the best of you or maybe, you know, you have, uh, you've let that poor 16-year-old kid behind the counter, you've let him have it because you clearly did not order pickles on your hamburger. And you can see as plain as day, there are pickles on my hamburger. And so you're gonna let them know that they are miserable at their job. They're a failure at life because they added pickles to your hamburger, right? And somewhere, for some people, this really does seem like a wise idea to do this to this poor 16-year-old because in the back of their mind, they're thinking, this kid someday, This kid may own a Fortune 500 company, and someday he's going to look back in in his life and go, where were some turning points for me? I remember that one day when I was working the counter. I remember when that customer let me know that my work ethic was not up to par, and that's when it changed for me. And so you, as you're yelling at him, you're thinking, I'm doing this kid a favor, all right? He's going to owe his fortunes to this conversation we're having. But you see, we let our passions boil up. This diseased, tumorous passions, and it clouds our judgment. This is the earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom. And there's one place, and you might be going, Josh, I don't do that. I've never wanted to run someone off the road. I don't believe you, but you might sail me that, right? Uh, I've never yelled at a poor kid or the poor waitress who got my order messed up. But there's one place still where I think I have you. But I think I have all of us, where we've made these mistakes before. And that little place is called Facebook. Have you ever let your passions boil over on Facebook? Have you ever let go of any sense of wisdom, thinking, though, that you are being wise? And if Facebook isn't bad enough, it just happens to be an election year as well. And clearly we need to let people know that if they vote for the person that I'm voting for, then things will get better. But if you vote for this candidate, then you hate America and maybe even God. (laughs) All right, yes. (laughs) And we let our passions, we lose control. And and, and, and like I said, nothing hinders judgment and impartiality necessary to acting wisely as much as passion. And we lose it so often in our lives, especially when we can hide behind a computer and just type words that seem we think at that moment doesn't matter or it's going to make a big difference and it's going to change things. But this is earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom because it's not promoting God. It's not edifying God. At the end of the day, it's wanting to get people to do the things you want them to do because you want them done that way. See, it's about learning how to have these things, these godly wisdoms in our life and not giving over to these passions. So first, James calls um, demonic wisdom, if you will. He calls it bitter jealousy. The second thing he calls it is selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. You see, worldly wisdom says promote yourself. Promote yourself. Climb that corporate ladder. Make yourself look better than the next person. You know, it's all about you. That's what earthly wisdom says. And let me just be honest with you. Can I be honest with you for a minute? It's embarrassing for me to say this, but pastors are the worst at this. They are the worst at this. If you've ever hung around a group of pastors... and and they don't necessarily know each other, they're getting to meet each other, this is a conversation you might hear. Hey, I'm Pastor Josh. great to meet you. Oh, I'm Pastor so-and-so. Oh, where do you, where are you pastor? Oh, I pastor at this church. Okay, I pastor at that church. Next question. How many attend your church? How big is your congregation? Oh, oh, we run about 500. Oh, we're running about 501. You know, you'll get there someday. Don't worry about it. You'll get there. You know, work hard. It's just, it's terrible. It really is. Our egos are, we just want to inflate them all the time. We need to have them inflated. We are diseased in this way, but don't get me wrong. You guys aren't off the hook on this. You guys aren't off the hook. I've heard conversations. Where do you work? I work at Phillips. Oh, so do I. Where are you at? I'm on the slope. Oh, I'm in downtown Anchorage. I'm in the corner office. I'm the one who tells you what to do up on the slope right? And military people, I love you guys. Oh my goodness, I love the military. You guys are awesome. But if I listen to everything I hear from the military, everybody, no matter what rank you are, you are the youngest person and the fastest person to ever make that rank, right? Just made captain, youngest person ever. Maybe in American history to make captain, you know, most people have to be 35 to make it. I'm 34 in a day. Like, this doesn't happen. Just made E7, did it on my first try, right? Usually it takes people two, three times to take this test. I did it my first try because I'm awesome, right? I hear this all the time, but in all fairness, this, I would have to say, is an area of struggle for me. I found myself as I'm writing this, I'm going, oh my goodness, this is me. God, no, why do I do this? Recently in my own life, as I got as I got hired on this job, um, one of the requirements was that I go through my ordination, which I'm so grateful for, and w- I love the process of walking through ordination, and the ordination process is a three-year process, and at the end of mine, I had I made it through in about two years, and so I remember talking to people um, who were in my class, uh, we, I'd see them at some conferences, and they're like, uh, oh, hey, how are you doing in the ordination process? Oh, I just finished, made it in two years, ah, here you still working on your third, ah, that's too bad, if you need any help, let me know. I didn't too. In case you didn't hear, it's a three-year program, right? Like, I'm somebody awesome? How pathetic am I in this? The only reason I could do it in two years is because I had an awesome boss who said, hey, I want you to work at this during some work hours, like take one day a week and work at it, where these poor guys are having to work all week and then go home and do it on their own time. Like, that's the only reason. I'm not awesome, but I followed this earthly wisdom that says promote yourself and make yourself look awesome and man we all do this so much and it's and at the end of the day what we are doing is we are glorifying ourselves and we are not glorifying God we see through the new testament of people telling begging Paul Paul please tell us what's going on tell us how awesome you are and Paul is really reluctant and he goes okay I'm going to tell you what's going on but you got to understand this has nothing to do with me and everything to do with God but so often we're going, no, this, this has something to do with me. God, you're lucky I'm on your side. Right? And, and we find this jealous ambition, this selfish ambition, and we like to boast in this. The, the wisdom of the world says exalt man, and the wisdom of God says exalt God. And, and the truth of the matter is, is we need to see and understand, not if we are applying this earthly, unspiritual wisdom to our life, Not if, but where we are doing this. Because I would say that we all do this. Like I read earlier, it's all natural for us to go this way. And if we're not walking in the disciplines of our life, if we're not being careful, we're going to find ourselves just kind of naturally tending towards this type of wisdom. So what does it look like when we apply this wisdom to our lives? James tells us that if we apply earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom in our life, we will have disorder and every vile practice. Disorder and every vile practice. See, the wisdom of the world creates disorder, which comes from instability. Another word that you can use here for disorder that is used in the Greek is instability. It's the same word that James uses at the beginning of his book, at the beginning of his letter that he's writing, where he says, uh, If a If a person does not uh, ask things in faith, that person is like a wave being tossed back and forth. He is double-minded, unstable. Basically, what they're saying is that person follows the wisdom of the world. It makes them unstable. So let me ask you, do you find instability in areas of your life? Do you find instability in the area of finances? Do you find instability maybe in some of your relationship? <clears throat> maybe in your marriage, maybe in the relationships of your kids. Do you find instability at work, on the job? Maybe, just maybe, it's because you're applying some of this earthly wisdom in your life versus wisdom from above. And the truth is, we, we, we all do it. We really do. And the church is not immune. That's the one thing you need to understand. Because you walked through those doors this morning, does not make it so now you don't follow the wisdom of the world that you're immune to it. And in fact, Paul tells us in Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20, he says, I fear that when I come, I may not find you as I wish. Um, and that you might not find me as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder among you. Do you find any of that in your life? Maybe pockets of it? Paul's saying, Basically what Paul's saying is like, I'm afraid you guys are following the wisdom of the world right now and not wisdom from above. Because where we apply the wisdom from the world, this is what shows up. This is what we find. And so how do we then apply wisdom from above? What does that actually look like in our lives if we were to apply it? Where does it come from, this wisdom from above? First of all, wisdom from above is directly from God. And in fact, without God, you can have no good wisdom. Uh, Um, Proverbs 9, 10 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Without God, there is no wisdom. Without God, there is no wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You wanna have wisdom? You need to learn to fear the Lord. You need to learn to pursue God. And I love the second part of that. And the knowledge of the Holy One is the beginning of insight. You want to have insight in your life? Having that wisdom? Discover who God is. Discover the knowledge of God. It's not just about showing up on church on a Sunday morning, going home and saying, oh, I did it. I showed up. I did my thing. I did the checkbox thing. And now I go home and now I got this wisdom, right? That's what he was saying. No, saying the knowledge of the Holy One, pursuing the Holy One. See, and and the truth of the matter is, wisdom from above comes from God by the Spirit, and it is not invented by the minds of man. And what that means is, you cannot just learn God, you can't just know God without the Holy Spirit, you can't go to seminary, you can't go to enough Bible studies, you can't go to enough church service and go, okay, I got it figured out, without the Holy Spirit. We even see in scripture where Jesus says, Peter, who am I? And Peter says, you're Jesus, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, you did not discover that on your own. You did not figure that out because you've been walking with me for the last few years. But only through the Holy Spirit did you figure that out. And so the beginning of wisdom is pursuing the knowledge of God, but asking the Holy Spirit to reveal the knowledge of God to us. God tells us that he will give us these things if we ask for them. But the truth of the matter is you're just not smart enough. We are, humanity is not smart enough. I am not smart enough to discover these things. But it's only through the Holy Spirit who reveals them to us so that no man can boast, so that no one can go, I did it, I'm awesome, I figured it out, and not exalt themselves, but exalt God. See, true wisdom lives out in action what it speaks. And that's where you really can start to see true wisdom in people's lives or true wisdom in your own life. Is that you start seeing it lived out. What you're speaking is what you're doing. See, church service is not... Christianity is not about sermon application. It's not just about coming and going, okay, I got to apply this thing in my life because the pastor said so and so that makes all the difference in the world. No, what it is, it's about knowing and understanding who God is. It's about knowledge and insight of the holy one and as we do that we start to develop this wisdom from above because the holy spirit allows us to and when we do that we're compelled then to live it out in action it's what the first half of james has been talking about faith without works is dead he's saying no your faith is going to cause you to do these works that this wisdom comes in from above and you're compelled to live it out so what does it look like in our lives When we start to live this out, James just lays it out through you. And we're going to walk through what he talks about in the scripture right here. Meekness is the first thing he says that live out your wisdom with meekness. Now, meekness is not to be confused with weakness. In fact, it's the very opposite of weakness. What meekness is, is power under control. Meekness is power under control. So James says, live out your wisdom with power under control. Again, not boiling over with this passion, but maybe this passion you have and aimed in the right direction. It was the same word that they would use when they would break a horse. Okay, this horse is wild and unuseful. But when they were able to break the horse, the horse had a lot of power. It was under control and it became incredibly useful. This idea of living out our wisdom with meekness first. And then... James says, it is first pure. Wisdom from above is first pure because it comes from God and God is holy. And so it is first pure, this wisdom from above is first holy. You see, wisdom from from God leads to purity. Wisdom from man leads to sin. It always will, it always does. Wisdom from God leads to purity. Wisdom from man will inevitably lead to sin. See, man's method for attaining peace in this world is to sacrifice purity for the sake of harmony. Haven't you seen that? Sacrifice purity for the sake of harmony. And now we have peace. But that's not truth. What we see is we see instability. We see problems when we apply that principle. But God does not work that way. Where people bow, where people surrender to the pure word of God... When people surrender to the word of God, we find purity and we find peace. Every time. Every time. You can start to see the contrast of these two different wisdoms. Next, uh, James says it's gentleness. He calls this wisdom gentle. And again, gentleness is not weakness, it's this idea of moderation without compromise. Moderation without compromise. A gentle person does not deliberately go and start fights. They don't run into Facebook looking to bash people on the head. They're not going to a restaurant looking to, you know, make some poor waitress have a terrible day. A gentle person does not go deliberately to cause fights, but they don't compromise the truth in order to keep peace either. A gentle person does not go around just compromising everything to keep this idea of harmony. They don't do that either. James says that wisdom is brought in by gentleness. Next, he says, open to reason. God's wisdom makes a believer agreeable and easy to live with. Like you find yourself a lot of times agreeing with them. And again, this is not a compromise agreeable person, but you know what? You can disagree without being disagreeable all the time. Like, are you the type of person that when people come to you with a conversation, they just know they have to go into a fight. They just know no matter what the words that come out of their mouth, your mouth or their mouth, it's like, here we go. I disagree with that. Maybe that person is your spouse. Maybe that person is your boss or your or your coworker. But you just know, man, when I have this conversation, it's going to be a fight because one of you is a disagreeable person. That's not open to reason. See, the person who's, who, who's open to reason, they can hear all sides of an argument. And while they don't compromise on the truth, they're willing to listen and have conversation. Conversation is something that we greatly need in our culture today. We are not people typically who are open to reason. We are typically people who dig our heels in. You see, wisdom from man, wisdom from below makes a person stubborn and hard. Wisdom from above makes someone open to conversation. Again, hear me, not to compromise purity, not to compromise truth for harmony, but to have the conversation. We see Paul do that throughout the New Testament. Someone who listens to wisdom from above is full of mercy. I love this word. I love the fact that he uses full of mercy. Because someone who is full of something is controlled by that thing. That's why Paul tells us to be filled with the Holy Spirit every day so that it is the Holy Spirit living through us and not ourselves. And this idea of being full of mercy. And saying, Josh, what is mercy? What what does that mean? What mercy is, is not getting what you deserve. It's also getting what you do not deserve. The best example of that, of course, is Jesus on the cross. What do we deserve? We deserve the wrath of God. We deserve that, that, that discipline on our lives because we are children of wrath by nature. But what was doled out to us was forgiveness, was grace, was mercy. Right? What don't we deserve is that forgiveness. And do you, do you find yourselves in your life walking that out, living out mercy? Like, or or you and, and I think I am I know I am, typically we' people who are like, "No, no, no, they got what they deserve, right? No, no, they got what they deserve. He deserved to get that. He deserved to, for that to happen to him. She deserved everything that she got with this. right? Or, or we hold back, no, 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 I'm not giving out forgiveness. They haven't deserved it yet. They haven't earned it. I'm not giving out mercy because this person clearly does not deserve it. But wisdom from above says, no, we walk, we we are controlled by mercy. We are constantly being merciful to people. That is the difference between wisdom from above and wisdom from below. James tells us that wisdom from above produces good fruit. Produces good fruit. See, people who are faithful will be fruitful. People who are faithful will be fruitful. It's just going to happen. I grew up in an area called the Wenatchee Valley. The Wenatchee Valley is known as the apple capital of the world. Produces more apples per capita than any other place on the planet. And the fall, apples show up on the trees. Now, you might have the farmers out there. there pruning. They're, you know, putting fertilizer down. They're taking care of the trees. But at the end of the day, the farmer has no control over that. The apples are going to appear on the tree because they're apple trees. And people who are faithful to the wisdom of God are going to be fruitful. And and, and the fruitful things that he's talking about, we find in Galatians. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That when you're faithful, when you walk those disciplines out for wisdom, when we walk these disciplines in our life to follow good wisdom, we will be fruitful. James says it's impartial. This is this idea of single-mindedness, it's the opposite of wavering. It's the opposite of what James is talking about at the beginning of the chapter when he says that that a person who's double-minded, that they get thrown back and forth. No, he says that this person is single-mindedness. When you have God's wisdom, you don't need to waver. You can be decisive and not afraid. When you know you're walking in God's wisdom, you can be decisive and not afraid of the decisions you're making, knowing that you're walking in the wisdom of God. And finally, we have sincerity. That God's wisdom is at work and there is openness and honesty. And the thing with sincerity is that you can speak the truth now because you're walking out in God's mercy. You're walking out in God's love. You can speak the truth, but you can speak it in love. That's what Ephesians 4.15 says, is to speak the truth in love. It's, it's about disagreeing maybe over some sin issues in someone's life, but you're not being disagreeable. You're, you're open to the conversation. You're open to reason. You're, you're open to talk to people but you're willing to do it in love without compromising your truth, without compromising purity for harmony, but you're able to do it in all sincerity of your heart because you generally care for those people. So how do we get this wisdom from above? Where does this come from? Again, like we said, without God, it doesn't exist. Like you have to follow God. You have to, to have the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That is where it starts. And then God says to ask for it. James tells us in in, in chapter one, he says, if anyone lacks wisdom, a lot of times, let him ask God who gives it generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. If you want this godly wisdom in your life, ask for it ask God for ask in faith that God will give it to you because he wants to he says he wants to give it to you generously it is God's desire that we walk in this wisdom from above and not wisdom from below it's God's desire that we exalt him and not exalt ourselves God has not hidden this wisdom from us it's our natural tendency Our natural bent to want to go towards this earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom. But God's saying, I've provided something so much better. And in it, you find stability. In it, you find peace. In it, you find purity. Away from it, you find instability in every vile practice. You know, what kind of wisdom are you walking in? Again, I say not are you walking in worldly wisdom, but where are you walking in worldly wisdom in your life? And the the great thing about it is it's not not too late. It's not too late to apply this wisdom from above in these areas of our life. You see, I love how James ends this. He says, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace peace. Josh, what does that mean? Well, Proverbs tells us this. I love this. Proverbs 21, 21. Whoever pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. And I would love to have those things be foundations of my life, be keystones of my life, knowing that I have life, prosperity, and honor. Prosperity for the gospel, prosperity for discipleship, prosperity for loving my neighbor as myself, to find a life in all areas of my life, and no matter what the circumstances are, and you know people who walk in wisdom, man, they are honored, they are honored. Whoever pursues righteousness finds love, or, and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. James tells us a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace so the, so the question is this are you sowing instability in your life or are you sowing peace every day we either are operating in godly wisdom or demonic wisdom it's just the way it is wisdom is never neutral your origin will determine your outcome let's pray God, we thank you that you are so generous to us. God, not only are you giving us grace, peace, God, giving us what we don't deserve and forgiveness, but Lord, your word says that you are generous with your wisdom. And then if we ask for it, you are generous to give it to us. Lord, I pray that we would not be so prideful. God, I pray that I would not be so prideful to think I have this thing under control, to think I've got it together and I don't need your wisdom. Lord, forgive me for that attitude. Jesus, I pray that you would compel me to pursue wisdom from above. God, let me see in my life Let me see in my life where I am walking out unspiritual, earthly, demonic wisdom. God, reveal it to me. Reveal it to us, Jesus. God, I pray individually that we would pursue godly wisdom. I pray individually, God, we would see areas of our lives that that we've not been walking in that. God, and I pray corporately as ACF Church, God, that we would pursue godly wisdom so that we can exalt you and not us in our communities, that we can exalt you and not us in our families, that we can exalt you and not us in our workplace. God, let us glorify you. God, and let us truly be able to say that the origin of our wisdom comes from you.